0: the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Galatians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul writing to the church in Galatia, he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. But he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become as I am, for I am as you are. You've not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you didn't despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They... They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous for a good thing always. And not only when I'm present with you. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone. For I have doubts about you. Tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you hear the law? Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you you who do not travail. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh and then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free father. A lot of heavy stuff here, Lord, we acknowledge and we admit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to make sense of it today. Help us to know your word. Help us to know you better when we walk out of this place than we did when we walked in. Help us to to know, Lord, the plan that you have for our life. Help us to understand how deeply you love us how desperately you want us to be free. And Lord, reveal to us those areas that we will tend to tie ourselves down and wrap our own selves up in legalism in order to feel holy. May you speak to our hearts today. Speak speak through me, oh Lord, I pray. Teach me, grow me. May this message transform my own life May this message today transform all of our lives to become more like you, and to recognize your plan for each every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Who can relate? A friend, maybe a, a relative, brother, sister, you know, whatever, spouse, maybe they begin something new uh, call it a, a diet evangelist or maybe a relationship evangelist you know here they are uh, my brother was was very good at that back when we were growing up um, he was a a worship leader out in california for quite some time at a, at a calvary chapel in redlands actually and and uh he had a group of guys that he hung out with. Dan, I'm throwing you under the bus if you listen to me right now. Um, that's my brother. He uh, he had a group of guys that he hung out with, and a uh, bunch of great guys, you know, Rob and Mark Miller and Mark Millsap, you know, all these guys. They were great guys. They were awesome guys. Loved them. But when they were all together, and they actually had some other guys with them, they would boast that we're men. We're bachelors to the rapture. That's what they called themselves. That was their, that was their, you know, that's not a, a pretty manly thing for a, for a gang, but that's it, man. That's a Christian gang, bachelors to the rapture. You know? and, and then, uh, you know, my brother actually, he was so bound to determine that he was not ever going to get married and he was, he was militant, man. Don, you got to become a bachelor to the rapture. <laughs> and, you know, I'm three years younger than him and I'm thinking, I don't want a part of your group, bud. But, but you know, be that as it may, you know, Dan, he made a bet with his buddy Mark uh, Miller that, uh, Mark, I'll bet you, I don't know where, the, where that number came from, I'll bet you 2,400 bucks I'll never get married. Mark says, I'll make that bet. I mean, how will Mark lose? <laughs> Just think about that for a second. Mark will, I mean, he'll have to cut a check when Dan dies and throw it on the in the casket or something. But Dan is the only one that's going to lose this bet. Well, it happened. Dan found a woman. Not too long after the Bachelors of Rapture organization began, he got engaged. He's no longer part of the Bachelors of the Rapture group. He began to say, Don... Get a life, get a wife. It's, he had a little, you know, it's a little phrase, dude, you gotta get a, get a life, man, get a wife, get a life, get a wife. So he changed, you know, and he became this relationship evangelist. Maybe you have somebody in your life that's a diet evangelist. They start a diet, man, they're going and they're going and they're they're really rocking and rolling on that. You know, it's it's new, it's fresh. You know, while it's new and fresh, you know, they have this euphoria, you know, this the results are happening, you're dropping some they're dropping some weight, their countenance, you know, is is increased in their joy, and after a while, you know, the, the dieter is is doing a really good job, you know, maybe You know, very, very, very strict, you know, on their diet. And then, and then it turns into Florida around February, March time. And all the strawberries start coming out. You happen to go to a fair or the strawberry festival. And you think, man, it's strawberry season. It only comes around once a year. You begin to justify. I've been doing really well on my diet and I'm just going to have a, Small two-pound serving of strawberry shortcake, <laughs> A little eight-inch high dollop of whipped cream on the top. Or, or how about maybe it's not that, but maybe you're at the grocery store and you're you're there and 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 you're buying you know your watercress and your carrots <laughs> and your your grass-fed beef and your you know free-range chicken you know stuff that you're getting and you're you're you you're cruising along and you're feeling good man you're walking through you got a strut to you yeah i mean listen i am a people watcher i grew up being a people watcher and and i love watching people do this sometime just go into a grocery store and you'll see people you'll you'll be able to you'll be able to to teach yourself everything about that person's life by the way they're walking with a grocery cart you look in their grocery cart they have all this healthy stuff in there and they're just cruising. They're they're confident. It's the person that has all the, you know, junk in there they're kind of, you know, you know. they're they're cruising through, you know. Or or they just are just blatant. They're going, "Yeah, I'm eating it." You know? You know. And 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 but here you go through. You got all this really good, healthy stuff, and you know how it is. They put all the, you know, the meats in the very back. You go get the meats, and you go, all right. Well, I've got everything I need. I'm going to go up to the counter, and so I'm just going to pick a random aisle, and you walk down a random aisle, and it just so happens to be the cookie aisle. Dang those cookie aisles! They're horrible. But you're feeling pretty confident. You look down at your stuff. You go, I've got power over this. This is good. And you're cruising along and you're passing by, you know, Keeblers and, you know, you're passing by Pepperidge Farms. I can do this. I can do this. I can. Then you hit Oreos. And you go, they have blonde Oreos now? <laughs> blonde? I wonder if they're different tasting. That's just the weirdest thing. I'm going to do a little laboratory test. I'm just going to get some blonde Oreos to see if, man, if they mess with a good thing, man, I'm going to be so mad at Nabisco. And you sit there and you just fight and you go, well, I'm going to get this. Well, I might as well get the other kind because then I can do a a proper taste test. (laughs) You put them in your bag. You cover them up with the watercress. You hurry to the front of the store. You do not look one way or the other because you just don't want to see, like if it was me, I would not want to see my wife in the store. Because she go, what's that? Nothing. You know, I mean, you just, you just, you just, you want to, I don't want to see anybody. You just, boom, you get to the, you get to the aisle and you get there and you pour all this stuff off under the conveyor belt and the office go. have you ever looked at a person in a conveyor belt? They're sitting there. You look at the food that they have in there. Can you, I have always wondered what goes through a cashier's mind. <laughs> Carrots, celery, watercress, water chestnuts, asparagus, broccoli, free range chicken, Oreos. And they stop. They kind of look up Oreos. Where does that fit? This, is, this doesn't work. And, and and they go. And now there are kind of three ways. If you ever wonder what the cashiers think, but as you look at the person, there's the next time you see that, Look at their face. They're going to have one of three looks. The the, the first look is, they're going to be looking around like, these Oreos aren't for me. Obviously, I'm getting the healthy stuff. These are for someone else. And so they have that smug look on their face. That second person is... uh, you know, kind of just looking and, and they're they're panicking, you know, they're panicking and they're kind of going, oh, come on, come on, you know, just, they have that, they have that, just hurry up and cash me out before anyone cash, catches me look, you know, before somebody finds out. Or, or my favorite is they have this look on their face. Don't you judge me. And they do. My wife does this a lot. She She will, if she's having a Conversation in her head with me, (laughs) and I'm not a part of that conversation, but she thinks I know what I'm saying. (laughs) And she's, and and, and I go, honey, who are you talking to? Oh, nothing, you know, and (laughs) she can't help it. But it's, it's, you listen, we've all done it, we've all done it, right? You have that conversation with that person. Well, if you say that to me, you know, don't you judge me that I've got two boxes of Oreos in here, you know? Then you get the Oreos home. You, you do the taste taste test. You eat a couple. <laughs> it's fair to say it's all over. It's all over. You do the taste test with milk, <laughs> with a fork in in the cream and you dip the fork down you can get it all the way in there pull it back out and you can have the whole thing's covered so here's the thing you do that and you do a couple and you sit there and go man I cannot believe that I just blew it (laughs) I feel so horrible (sighs) Well, I've already blown it so I'm going to Finish off these two bags because tomorrow I don't want these in the house. You know, you justify it, right? Yeah. You go, what in the world does any of this have to do with what we're talking about today? I feel like it was an inside rant. Don't judge me. Josh is saying, I think that was an inside rant. You know, here's the thing. When Christ came, Paul Paul's talking. I mean, I think hopefully you you're you're catching a little bit of the gist of what we're going to talk about here. Paul Paul he's dealing with freedom. He's dealing with with liberty. He he's dealing with a relation, a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and the understanding of what that relationship affords a believer. Right? Here's the thing. I'm so sorry for you women because you can't be a part of our men's group. I'm sorry. Guys, if you're not a part of our men's group, you're just missing out. We had a phenomenal men's group on Tuesday night. And I had to deal with some of this. Paul. Paul understood what the law did. Paul understood what being very legalistic would be would reward you with. He understood that living according to the law. He says, man, I, I, I excelled above many of my contemporaries. I, I was, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, man. I, I, I I excelled above them all. I did everything that the law said I needed to do. And there is a thought, there is a, There's actually evidence to actually support this idea that Paul felt that if he lived the law perfectly for one day. And there was a sect of the Jews that would believe this. That if you as a Jew could live perfectly for one day, you would induce the Messiah. Your works, your perfect works, your holiness before God would make God Reveal the Messiah upon the face of the earth. Now, I don't believe that that was correct. But I believe that that's the passion that caused Paul to live his life as as a Pharisee. And I believe that Paul loved God. I believe that Paul wanted to do the right thing before God. He was skewed. We've talked about it many times before about Paul on his way up to Damascus to arrest more Christians, breaking up families, possibly stoning them to death, possibly throwing them in prison. We obviously know that he's going to take them away in chains. And so here Paul is on the way up to try to cause more havoc within the Christian church because how dare you say that god would ever become a man and die on a roman gibbet for me god will never humble himself to a place where he would be placed at the hand of his own creation and allow his own creation to to hang him upon a cross that's this just that's that's preposterous my god is so far more powerful than humanity and you know in that i would I would agree. God is much more powerful than all of humanity, right? I mean, that's that's a that should be pretty good straight across the board in here. But Paul took it to that next level. He's going, how dare you ever say that he would ever humble himself to a place where he would die at the hands of the man that he created in order to give him life? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so I'm going to go and root that out. I'm going to kill these Christians. I'm going to snuff this faith out, these Christians. Now, mind you, if you call yourself a Christian, back in the day, that was a derogatory term. And so he really wanted to knock these Christians down. He wanted to knock them out. He wanted to snuff them out. And so he was on his way up to Damascus, got knocked off his pride horse, right? He got knocked off his arrogance horse. He got knocked off his, his egotistical horse that he understood it all. And, and he got knocked to the ground. And he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the voice said, whom you're persecuting. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? And the idea is, is that I look at that and I don't see a lot of rebuke down upon Paul or Saul was his name at the time. And there was not rebuke down upon him. There was actually you're finding no satisfaction in what you're doing. You think that you're doing me a favor and you are kicking against spikes, man. And it's not working. And the more you involve yourself in this persecuting this Christian sect, the more you have this peace that is evacuating from inside of you. And you're going, "Why why am I not feeling the pleasure of God? When I'm doing his bidding, why can't I feel this this presence when I'm snuffing out these Christians that would do and say such things? And he he was. He was conflicted. Because he couldn't find the peace. And I believe that that's what Jesus was referring to there on the on the road to Damascus. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Cause every time he did it, it was like he was getting stabbed. It was like something wasn't right when he was doing it. And then Jesus gave him a plan. He says, go into Damascus, the Damascus, a street called straight there. You're going to find a house. You're going to go there. You're going to be blind for a few days. All right. Three days. I'll send somebody to pray for you and, and, and then I'm going to give you your, your marching orders basically is what ended up happening. You know, Ananias went in there and the Lord talked to Ananias and said, go in and talk to this guy, Saul. Pray that he'd receive his sight. And and give him his commission from me. And so Ananias did, I'm sure, with fear and trepidation. Because he knew how much harm this Paul, Saul, had actually inflicted upon the church. And so you have Paul seeing legalism didn't work. The law didn't work. Living a perfect life as a Pharisee, as a law, as a holy scripture, law-abiding man, there was no peace. There was only guilt. Sin revived, I died, Paul will go on and say. Sin, the, the law... Showed me. I wouldn't have known sin, Paul said, unless the law would have said thou shalt not covet. Here's what Paul dealt with. Guys, maybe you struggle with this at times. Gal, some of you guys might struggle with this. Paul's going, hey, here's the thing. The law wouldn't, you know, you know, sin came alive. But you know, I wouldn't have known sin unless the law would have said you shouldn't lust. It's hard to think of the apostle Paul as a guy who struggled with lust. He says, but man, I I died when I understood that the law said you aren't supposed to do that. It, it, It killed me. Paul understood that there was a spiritual death that had to happen. He understood that in such a dramatic way with Christ on the road to Damascus. And so Paul becomes an evangelist. Now, it took three years. He was in the Arabian desert. And then, you know, some 14 years later, we read in the last chapter and two chapters ago in chapter two. Right. 14 years later, Paul is now dealing with, you know, Peter coming up and playing the hypocrite with everyone, trying to put people back under the law again trying to, to abide by the law, trying to balance Christ with the law, trying to say, hey, wait a minute, Judaism is the way that God reached man in the Old Testament. Is Judaism bad? The law is not bad. The law, Paul says, is a tutor that brings you to Christ. But when you come to Christ, you're no longer under a tutor. The, the, the law is there to teach you that you can't be good enough to go to heaven. Why is it that God created the whole of the Old Testament, you might ask? You might ask this question, why is it that we have to understand the Old Testament? And, and, and I reject pastors that, 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 that reject the Old Testament. I don't think that they're worth a hill of beans. If you don't teach the Old Testament. When Paul left the church of Ephesus, or the the, the city of Ephesus, he says, I did not shun to declare to you the full counsel of God. That means Old Testament and everything that he understood about grace to the point, to that point, because there was New Testament, there was no New Testament when Paul wrote that. There were some letters floating around, but there was no New Testament. And so Paul is on the ground floor. Paul writes 13 of these letters of the New Testament, of the 26 letters of the New Testament. Paul writes 13 of those things. Paul understood that I can't find peace under the law. I can't find peace under rules and regulations like that. I can't do it. It's the reason Christ came. Because we can't find peace with God by following a rule or a regulation. The law is there to show us a standard. When I say a standard, the law is there to show us this is perfection. Do you measure up? And every single person in this room, as you look at that standard, there is not a person in this room and say, oh, yeah, I totally measure up. I measure up. Well, I would say that you just had a sin of pride. (laughs) Okay, you don't measure up. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God right and all in the greek it's fascinating i've looked it up before do you know what it means <laughs> it means all it means you it means me it means all of us you try to live perfectly before god and let's say that today you go well you know what i'm going to forsake my old life and i'm going to live according to the law today but i'm sorry you're a sinner in the past What began to happen though is that many of these men that were steeped in Judaism, rightly so, that's what they knew. Christ comes on the scene, he dies for mankind. He rises again three days later for the sins of mankind. And many of these Judaizers, they heard many of them understood, many of them embraced this Messiah of Jesus. But they took that, that, that embrace of Christ and they, they ran with it for a season. Many Christians ran with it for a season. And I'm going to say that there's a lot of us in this room that can liken unto who it is that I'm going to talk about right now. You started well in the faith. You recognize that it wasn't because of you that Christ saved you. Not definitely. I mean, not your goodness. Not in anything that you've ever done that warranted God's grace to come down upon you. We all understand the definition of grace, right? Grace is God's unmerited favor. You know what unmerited means? Means you can't do anything to merit something from God. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward the infinitely ill-deserved. Infinitely. You know, I know, infinite means there's no ending. And you tag on that ill-deserved, that's me, that's you, that's us, we're ill-deserving. And that statement is that you are so infinitely, there is no end to your ill-deserving favor towards God. There's nothing you can do to warrant God's favor, to merit God's favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward the infinitely ill-deserved. There's nothing that you and I can do to, to, to get that other than just simply receive it. The problem is, is that many embraced. Wow, that's awesome. I love the whole idea of grace. I love it. And they run with it for a while. Kind of like that diet. Kind of like that 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 relationship. Hey, man, get a life, get a wife. You know, you, you, hey, man, you gotta, you gotta follow Christ, man. Hey, I understood. Wow, I'm saved now, man. I'm saved because of, but I understand what Jesus did. But after a season, you have a hard time with this grace thing. You have a hard time with this forgiveness of the Lord. You have a hard time with, are you kidding me? I don't have to, it's not in anything that I do that is going to make me in right standing with God. It's it's what he's done and I simply have to receive that. I live in that. I live in that liberty. I live in that, that relationship with Christ. But we are a people, and and now correct, uh, no, don't correct me if I'm wrong because we don't have time to get into a debate. But I'm gonna just ask you, are we not a people that are drawn towards having to do something in order to make ourselves feel good? And what I mean by that is, when you sin, when I sin, when we've committed a sin, that you just go, holy cow! Please don't let anybody else know that I've done this, and you feel horrible. Maybe you've maybe you've sinned against somebody. Maybe you've sinned against a a friend, and that friend confronts you. You you you, you understand? Maybe you've done something. You've betrayed. You've hurt. You've done something. Whatever that sin is, you you've experienced the weight of that sin. maybe as a Christian it's not even against another individual but your sin that you have committed is so ever present before the eyes of the Lord and the weight of that sin is unbearable and, and now correct me if I'm wrong, don't correct me but I, that's, a, that's a false statement that I just made I don't want you to correct me if I'm not wrong You know, come up to me afterwards and talk to me, we don't have time to do that right now but here's the thing isn't it just like us to think that we need to do something more to make God happy with us again? That coming before God and saying, you know, Lord, I am guilty before you. I did this. I own it. I'm ashamed. I blew it. And I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I don't want to go down that road. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. The way I feel, the wow, I did it, Lord. This, And we surprise ourselves, right, when we commit gross sins. But be assured, you don't ever surprise God. I don't ever surprise God in what it is that I do. But what's more, in spite of your sin, God still is bananas over you. He still loves you so, so much. That doesn't mean that we remain in sin. Paul says, well, shall we continue in sin that grace would abound? There was a thought back then that they said, well, hey, if that's the case, then I'm going to go in sin all the more because it brings God pleasure when he forgives me and gives me more grace. Paul says, absolutely not. That's a horrible way of looking at a relationship. You know, if I do something to hurt my wife... Maybe something I say. And my wife, in her graciousness, says to me, she says, you know what? I know you said you're sorry. And you know what? Here's, here's, I'm happy you told me you were sorry. And it gives me pleasure to, to forgive you. Is my wife saying because she, it gives her pleasure? For me to for for her to forgive me for what I just did to her that hurt her does that give me now a license to go back and do it again? Of course not. That's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. And that's 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 how we that that's what Paul's saying. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound that God would feel pleasure for giving us grace and for forgiving us again? No, absolutely not. That's not relationship. The idea is we don't do that anymore. I'm glad that my wife feels pleasure to forgive me, but I'm also glad, I'm also glad that I don't have to do this again to hurt her. You you see, and and, and so that's relationship. And so, very quickly, this is, you know, kind of laying groundwork for where we are. When many of these Judaizers who had tried to be perfect according to the law? When they saw that they couldn't be perfect to the law, and they understood that Christ died on a cross for their their sins, they they embraced it. But after a while, they begin to, they begin to think that their their holiness was dependent upon them, their righteous standing before God was dependent upon what they did or what they didn't do. And, and you might, and I might this tendency to think that I'm going to be more holy before God or I'm going to be more righteous before God and God's going to show me more favor. He's going to love me more if I read 15 chapters a day of my Bible. Now, is there anything wrong with reading 15 chapters a day of your Bible? Absolutely not. If you want to do that, knock yourself out, man. Go for 20. But if you think that that's going to garner you more grace from the Lord, if you think that that's going to make God love you more, that you have written, or you read fifteen chapters, or I'm gonna spend two hours in prayer on my hands and knees. Now, if you wanna spend two hours on your hands and knees in prayer, go for it. Try for three. But if you think, by doing that, God's gonna love you more, you have a false understanding of who God is. God has bananas over you as you sit in your seat right now. He loves you. The law of the do's and don'ts. Do this in order to be approved of the Lord. Don't do this in order to be approved of the Lord. Here's the thing. All of those things would bring you to a place in your life that says it's impossible. It's impossible to actually do all of those things. And if you ever came to that conclusion, God would be saying right with me right now, bingo. You understand that you can't live perfectly to to my law. You can't. But you see, sin is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Righteousness will. How do we get righteousness? It's through God. To God sending His own Son, His only begotten Son into the world. That we who believe on His death and His resurrection would not see death but have everlasting life. That's, that's, that's it. I don't know if you have it. I hope you do. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, know this. Your relationship with Christ is based upon what He did for you on the cross. How He defeated death as He rose again from the dead. He took your sin upon His shoulders On that cross. And I believe that he was thinking of you personally. I'm one of those crazy guys that believe that if Jesus is God in human flesh, which I believe he is, that God has the capacity to know in the future. Is that a pretty fair statement? God can see past, present, and future. The Bible says that he's omnipresent, right? He can be in all places at one time. And if that's the case, he could be right here, which he is, because he says where two or three are gathered in his name, I'm right there in the midst. And I think that there's more than two of us in here that have gathered in his name. And so he promises he's in this very place. And so when Christ was dying on the cross, I truly believe he was not just thinking of the world globally, Mankind globally. Mankind that was past, present, and future globally. Now, yes, part of that was. But I believe that the mind of God is so vast and so great that he could think of me personally, even though I hadn't even become a a flicker in my great, 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 great parents' eyes. You know? Here's the thing. I believe he was thinking about you. Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Right? Seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, you, I, us, were that joy. The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And right now he sits down at the right hand of the father. You were the joy. I believe you were a twinkling in his eye. I believe that you were on his mind when he cried out, Father, forgive him. I know what they're doing. It is finished. I believe he was saying it was finished for you personally. I think God has a vast, vast enough mind to think of me personally on the cross, to think of you personally on the cross. To personalize the crucifixion of Christ is necessary for us. Do you understand? Here's the thing. If you don't personalize the cross, if you don't personalize, if you don't personalize the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you just make it global, you've missed the whole idea of Christ wasn't just global, because an individual has to make a decision to follow Christ. A nation doesn't. Now, a nation can, but do all the people in the nation follow? No. You have got to have a relationship with Christ. You have got to make a decision to follow Christ. Oh, well, I'm in a family. My mom and dad, they're saved. Good. You're 17 years old. For goodness sakes, make a decision. You're going to follow Christ or you're not? I say, do it, man. You have a relationship. You're not going to go to heaven based upon mom and dad. Now, I know that there's an age of accountability issue there and for young kids. I understand that. But as you get to that age where, where you can understand right and wrong, you have to come to a place where you have to accept Christ in your own life. But here's the thing, when you do that, there's nothing more you can add to God's favor towards you. You have it. And people will try to come in, as these Judaizers were doing, and I've got to finish, but these Judaizers were coming in, and they were saying, we had it too, but it just wasn't feeling right. Because it just doesn't seem right that it's nothing that we can do to warrant God's favor to us, because we were so set in doing all these laws and doing all the do's and don'ts. And now he's saying, those aren't the things that are going to make me right with him. That it's just Christ. I think I need to do more. And we do that same kind of a thing. Man, I've blown it. God, forgive me. Tell me if this doesn't ring true with you. You've blown it before God. You confess before him. You feel horrible. You go, God, forgive me. And the Lord forgives you. But then for the next three days, you're going around just going, Oh man. Oh man, I'm horrible. I might as well just eat worms and die. I'm horrible. God, I'm horrible. I'm so sorry. I know you said that three days ago. Would you stop it? (laughs) Would you stop? I died for that sin. Stand up. Be a Christian. No, I love you. I loved you when you were in your sin. That's when I came. I demonstrated my love to you. And while you were still in your sin, I came to die for you. It has nothing to do with your works. You simply have to freely receive it. Paul's making a big deal of this because these Judaizers are coming in and they're robbing the church. They're coming into the church that Paul had begun. And many of these people were growing in the faith, but then there were some of these guys that began to feel discontented because, okay, I became a Christian, but now I've gotta, now I've gotta keep the law. It's the law plus Christ. I've gotta do all these rules and regulations and have Christ in my life. Then I'm holy. You go, well, how does that relate today? I mean, come on, are we really trying to keep the various, you know, the the, the food laws? No, but it's the person that comes to you and says, oh, yeah, well, you got to go to this church. Oh, you're not you're not reading your Bible like this. Oh, well, you are not you, you got to go to this area or you got to go to this place. You got to study what we study. You've got to understand things the way that we understand. There are various sects out there in the church and sects, S-E-C-T-S, okay? There's various sects out there that have this high-mindedness in the faith. We know better. And they look down their nose at people and I go, that wasn't Christ. How dare you go into a church and rob the church? We had some hyper-Calvinists that came to our our, our our Bible college. That basically we're just going in and taking Christians and twisting their minds, saying this is this is how you have to. And and they were they would always go off in a corner and 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 discuss this stuff. I had people that would come into my office and cry at the Bible college. I remember one right now who's still walking strong with the Lord. I, I, I saw him probably five, six years ago. His name was Drew. He came into my office and he was crying. He goes, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And he was crying. I don't know. I don't know. And, and these, these hyper-Calvinists were, don't you evangelize because don't give anybody hope that they're going to go to heaven because it could very well be that God didn't save them in the first place. How dare you? And I'm going, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're telling these guys not to go and evangelize because you're going to give people false hope? Well, I would love to talk to those guys because they say, well, how about, how do you know that you're saved? Maybe you're just living a lie. Maybe God didn't choose you. You're just trying to earn your way into heaven. You say that you're saved, but you're actually not. No, I'm saved. Why? You got a burning in your bosom? What? How is it that you know you're saved? And, and, oh, it would infuriate me. This is Paul. This is what Paul's doing. It infuriated that somebody came into the church and started adding to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Gang, listen, if somebody gives you a book and says, listen, Ellen G. White and the Bible, Joseph Smith and the Bible, you need to flee. You understand? It's this and the Bible. It's this and Christ. It's this plus Christ is how you're going to be saved. You need to flee. Gang, understand. And I know this is kind of an old-time message, but God, we need old-time messages back in the pulpit. We need we need pastors that will tell you the truth. Paul's going, you're mad at me because I'm telling you the truth. Why? That doesn't make any sense. A buddy of mine, Pilgrim, had put on his... Some of you guys probably are, are, who are friends of Pilgrim. Benham, he's the... Pastor up at Shoreline Calvary, up in Lakewood Ranch. I saw something on his Facebook site the other day, and he asked the question, just an honest question. He goes, "Hey, what's more important, kindness or truth?" And it was interesting. The answer to that 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 a lot of people got involved in, and and it was a good discussion there was no arguments at least as far as I saw I didn't go and follow the whole thread through and everything like that but would you rather somebody be super kind to you or would you rather someone tell you the truth I love kindness but I can be kind to you and lead you on a path to hell or I can be pretty aggressive and and tell you the, the truth Now, the idea is, of of course, the Bible says, hey, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? And so, I mean, it doesn't mean it it was a hypothetical, right? The idea is, is that I would rather have truth than kindness. I'd rather somebody tell me the truth. And that's what Paul's saying. Are you mad at me because I tell you the truth? Can I tell you that when I was there with you in person, I'm telling you the truth. You saw that in my infirmities, Christ was being magnified. I'm telling you the truth that even while I was there, if you had the ability, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And if the idea is, is there uh, most a lot of people believe that Paul had an infirmity. You remember, Paul says three times, I asked the Lord to take a thorn from me, take this thorn from my side. And three times the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you. And the idea is that this infirmity that Paul had, many believe I tend to believe that it had something to do with his eyes. Don't really know what it was, but probably something to do with his eyes. He might have had something and and it, it wouldn't surprise me if he had just eyes that were constantly just oozing and red and you'd look at a you ever look at a person with red eyes really bad and they're oozing and your eyes start doing the same thing. And so if you got a guy like that going, "Hey, you need Christ. You kind of, you're, kind of, you're having to kind of look away. Talk to me, but I can't look at you, you know. And Paul says, Do you, I'm telling you the truth, that if you had the ability, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's how well you received me. Not that I would ever ask for that. That's not what Paul was saying. He was just saying, you embraced what I said. You embraced the gospel. You embraced that the law was your tu- was a tutor that brought you to this place of freedom and liberty in Christ. But now those that that think that Christ isn't enough, and they need to add more things in, and add add more rules and regulations in. You got to be a part of us. You got to be a part of our group. You got to be a part of this sect. You got to be a part of this. And they creep into churches. Well, if you're reading that Bible, you better not. You better not read it because there's only one Bible that is is real, and it's the right one, and it's the King James and the Red Letter because. You have to get the red letter because then Jesus wouldn't have known what to say. <laughs> but it's King James and King James only. And, and so you, 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 you get guys that say, well, oh, you use a new King James? Oh, heretic. What? <laughs> Just read your Bible, man. Now, I understand there's some pretty trashy Bibles out there. <laughs> Translation. Translations. Translations, not Bibles. Translations. That, that are not accurate. And you need to stay away from them. New World Translation. Jehovah's Witnesses have a Bible that they've kind of interpreted their own way. You don't, you don't want to read that one, okay? Because that, that is, you know, you just need to go back and do a little history on, on Greek and, and, and studies that the translation, I don't have time to get into that. I'd love to, but I can't. Here's the thing. Stay away from that Bible here here's that translation but people go well you should not be reading you know anything other than the king james oh you shouldn't be reading new international version you shouldn't be reading new you know new living translation and i just go you know what here's the thing read your bible read your bible that's just another pressure that somebody puts it down upon somebody just read just love Let's not make Christianity more than what it is. I mean, it, it's simple. That's why Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross is to make one way. There's not a million ways out there. It's, he, he made it as simple as possible for you and me. Let's not make it more complicated than what it is. Oh, you're not as holy as that other church over there, Pastor Don, because they get together every single morning for communion, before work, what kind of church are you? <sighs> Next week we're going to start communion every morning before work because I want to be whole. Listen, that they, and I know that there is a there's a church that does it. Not here in town. It's it, a guy I highly respect. I, I love it, John Corson's church. They do Monday through Friday, six o'clock in the morning every day. They have worship communion before people go off to work, or school, or whatever. And they come in, play a few songs, have communion, and they all take off. Am I less holy? Are we a less holy church because we don't do that on a day-by-day basis? Nope, we're just as holy. Why? Because we find our foundation in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it, gang. If we try to find any more righteousness in anything else, and if anybody else comes in to try to rob you of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you just need to you just need to flee. You need to get away from it. Don't make your faith more complicated than what it is. Just live for Jesus. I have a relationship with my wife. I don't wake up every day and go, oh man. Okay, now I've got to do this. I've got to make sure that all of my, you know, both socks reach the hamper. Um, I've got to make sure that my toothpaste is back in the drawer. I've got to, if I don't, oh man, she's going to be so mad and we're not going to have a relationship anymore. And Oh my goodness gracious. You know, I don't have, that's not the rules that I have with my wife. Now I might hear something about it, but doesn't mean that she doesn't love me and I don't love her and we don't do things to correct things. But here's the thing my relationship with my wife is based upon a day that I said I do the day that she looked in my eyes and she said I do our relationship is based on every day saying that we love each other and giving each other a kiss before we go off onto our busy days our our relationship is built upon not having to be told to hug each other every once in a while and, and look each other in the eyes I don't, I'm don't. i not told to do that. I do it because I love her. She does that because she loves me. When I'm having a bad day, she comes along and she talks to me. She's having a bad day. I'll come along and talk with her. Now listen, we're not the perfect relationship. But I think we've got a great relationship. But it's based upon love and relationship and not religion, not a law, not a rule. If this is a relationship, how much more with Christ? Don't get swiped up into men or women that come into a church or come to your work or you sit in the coffee break when you're in a coffee break and say, Well, you've got to do this, this and this. Oh yeah, but what do they what do they say about this? What do they say about well, you can't be a Christian unless you Hey Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it, man. Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's your answer. Oh, you're saying that it's so simple as that? Amen. That's it. Jesus Christ and him crucified, guys. Don't make it more complicated than what it is. Father, thank you so much for today. Help us, Lord, to go out and live this life for you. Relationship. Thank you, God, for bringing us and any of us in this room that have become Christians to that knowledge that we can't get to heaven based upon our own merit. We came to you, we understand your death and resurrection, and we've received it. We've acknowledged our sin before you. Then doesn't mean that we continue in sin. It just means that when we sin, Lord, we we have an advocate in heaven for us. You, Jesus, where you ever make intercession for for us. It's in my relationship. It's in our relationship with you, Lord, in which we will find ourselves holy. And we have a liberty in that and we have a freedom in that. And I pray, God, that you would help us to not get swayed by others that might come into our life. And by the outward appearance, they might seem to be a whole lot more holy. They might know a lot more bigger words than we do. They might know a whole lot more religious words than we do. But if that was the criteria to enter into heaven, then Lord, we would strive after that. But the criteria for heaven is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what we embrace, Lord. And help us never to look to the left or to the right. But Lord, may we fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despised the shame, and you right now sit down at the right hand of the Father for us. We thank you, Lord, for that. God, we are so grateful that our salvation is not based upon us. It is based upon you. It's not based upon what we do. It's not based upon rules or regulations or laws or anything. It's based upon you. Thank you, God, for securing us. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your unending love, your mercy, your direction, your affection towards us. I can't fathom that, Lord. I don't understand. If anybody did to me what I do to you, I don't think I could love him the way that you love me. And yet you love me still. I am humbled, God, at your grace and your love. And it never dies. And it never fades. And it never will. And I'm so grateful, Lord. Help me. Help us, Lord. To truly be lights that spread the true gospel in this world around us. May people be set free of the things of of, of religion. May we enter into a relationship with you. And may we keep it there. Even when People come and try to rob it from us. You protect us, Lord. You allow us to maintain that liberty that we have in you. Afforded by you. And dependent upon you. Forever and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So... Did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.